It is Wednesday, October 19th. Welcome to the Monitor Wired's Culture Podcast. I am your host, Peter Rubin, joined as always by the best in the biz, Senior Associate Editor, Angela Watercutter. How you doing? Howdy, I'm good. Did you have a good weekend? I did, I did. It was raining in San Francisco, so it was like it actually was. like lock yourself in, snuggle up with TV kind of weekend. It was a very good catch-up weekend for me. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, if it's rainy, you don't go to the movie theater as much. No. And and so I'm guessing you didn't see Kevin Hart's new stand-up picture. I didn't. Which did okay. well and is getting yeah. great reviews, and I don't think any of us have seen it yet, but I, I, I know people feel differently. I enjoy his stand-up movies, but do you have a particular favorite stand-up performance full-length feature film? Full-length feature film, stand-up performance, yes. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres here and now. Ooh. Yeah. The, her sort of first coming back after laying low for a while after her ABC show got canceled. Um, it is also the one where she does her rendition of Salt and Pepper Shoop. Very nice. Staff writer Kevin McFarland, hey. how, how are you? I'm good. It was a nice weekend to just sort of stay in and watch some stuff. The yeah. rain that San Francisco desperately needs yeah. also helps us all catch up on stuff. So they keep telling me <laughs> that we desperately need it. I refuse to believe it. The drought is a the drought is rigged. The drought is a lie. <laughs> uh oh! Don't someone, at me, farmers of the Central Valley. I'm just kidding. <laughs> someone poisoned the well. You, uh, you, you, Peter you got, wouldn't say he's been missing the rain. <laughs> exactly. Do you have any favorites? Um, I would go with uh, the original Kings of Comedy. Oh, uh, Spike Lee directed. Don't Santa call Grown Man Delicious. Yeah, I uh, I'm a big Bernie Mac fan, and I love his segment in there. Uh, and it's directed by Spike Lee. It is, is directed by Spike Lee. Which, that, I mean, he, he's done some pretty good documentary work, and mm-hmm, that was one of the mm-hmm. first times I noticed him as, like, a nonfiction director. Nice. Uh, so when I was growing up, uh, I was I was too young for Eddie Murphy's Delirious to hit when <laughs> I was, like, in my Eddie Murphy fan, fandom phase. Raw was right on time. And so Raw was a, a kind of an unbelievably uh, formative moment for me, but I'm going to give it to Dave Chappelle's Killing Him Softly, which is just like, you look at Chappelle then, you know, he'd, he'd been doing stand-up for a number of years, but he was still young and still super skinny and was wearing like size quadruple XL jeans and shirt um, and just got up and just killed it. There is a story about uh, basically um, meeting a baby outside the projects that tried to sell him weed that that will go down as, for me, one of the best stand-up routines uh, <laughs> of all time. Um, it's, it's a classic. Uh, so I got to give the nod to that one, but um, there's room for so many. Also, I feel like the the institution of the standalone feature film, the stand-up feature film, has has kind of seen its peak. And so the, the Kevin Hart continues to do them is kind of testament to the fact that there aren't many people that can do that anymore. Sure. Well, it's the, you have to be like the biggest stand-up on the planet, like draw the biggest audiences mm-hmm. in order to do a theatrical release right. of a stand-up special. There, there are specials all the time. Yeah. I mean, comics, comics are always putting those out. It's like albums. You, you know, there are comedy charts. Um, and the, if you... Go see comedy because it's in a movie theater. You chances are not going to be watching all the specials that come out. But it is you're right. It's like 
uh, which is not to denigrate what so many working comics do, but to have a feature film, to have a theatrical run of something, that is just that means you are selling out arenas. It's bonkers. Yeah. So another uh, another kind of usually small movie that has been kind of an outsized topic of conversation recently is 13th, which is Ava DuVernay's documentary, mm-hmm. um, which premiered at the New York Film Festival, but is a Netflix original yeah. uh, and is on Netflix now. And um, I know that, Angela, you've seen it a couple of times. Yeah. I took the, the I took advantage of the, the rainy weekend to watch it, and I think we both came away pretty affected by it. Yeah. Why, will you break down... A little bit about kind of what we're looking at with this. So on paper, they kind of talk about it about as it being Ava DuVernay's document documentary on mass incarceration. But what she does is she kind of draws a line from the Thirteenth is a reference to the abolition of slavery, and so she try, kind of draws a line from that to our pre- present problem with mass incarceration by because the clause in the Thirteenth says that you cannot take away a person's freedom unless it's for com- unless it's for committing a crime, mm-hmm. and so she kind of looks at you know, things that happened in the civil rights movement all the way up until the present and how those things have sort of tied in with uh, increased incarceration rates predominantly of Latino and African-American men. Um, so it's it's just, I mean, it's, I think the thing I was saying to you the other day is that it's just sort of a fascinating, she's found a fascinating through line in a lot of these things that I think we're all aware of, but maybe had never connected the dots on before in terms of laws that were passed and, you know, things that happened, you know, like in the 80s during the Reagan era when it became really popular for every politician to say, well, I'm tough on crime and like what that meant and Mm -hmm. like uh, the sort of coded language that was involved in that and what it meant to say, like, we're cleaning up our urban areas, you know, and like all those sort of things. The rise of law and order. Law and order of politicians, right, and how that just sort of all fed into this problem. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's just fascinating. I mean, the amount of research and the amount of people that she was able to talk to and how sort of elusive they were about all these topics. And I mean, she manages to put in like infographics essentially and all of it just sort of moves and has this incredible pace and just yeah. really is fascinating. One thing that I found notable about it um, is obviously Netflix has been a home for, for documentaries for some time now and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get into the kind of proliferation of their, their development of, the, of their own. But there seem, there are different categories obviously of documentaries just like Mm -hmm. there are of films Um, and so you have the kind of quirky subculture documentaries and you have the kind of auteurish documentaries like Werner Herzog's Uh, but by and large what has emerged recently is at least anecdotally in my own viewing is that the documentarian has emerged more and more as a voice in their own projects Mm -hmm. and and 13th choose that entirely. Yeah. There isn't yeah. a single line of voiceover, whether by DuVernay or anyone else. Right. There's n- there's zero lines of scripted exposition in this documentary. It is stitched together entirely from the interviews uh, mm-hmm. that she and her crew put together. Um, and it's you know Michelle Alexander who wrote the new Jim Crow and Grover Norquist who's the father of modern conservatism, talking about kind of Lee Atwater and the Southern strategy and Jelani Cobb, a writer from the New Yorker, and academics and activists and um, and prison reform people and and corporate lobbyists and it is an unbelievably kind of thorough mm-hmm. examination of this of this thread there were there are two scenes in or I guess like moments in it that I thought really stood out and the, the first of which was Van Jones uh, a talking head moment for him where he talks about uh, how 
uh, FBI surveillance of black leadership or like black leaders being assassinated or jailed or exiled led to the sharp increase of mass incarceration because there were no uh, or there was a significant lack of uh, vocal black leaders in the community that it was just sort of a generation of leadership was like wiped off the map completely and then there weren't people to fight back it wasn't that white people were just dominating black people it was that they had they were there wasn't a leadership to to unite and uh vocalize the community um and the other is the the sort of uh meek defense of this maryland's uh state senator who work or is a member of alec the american legislative Exchange Council, which is an organization that essentially uh, writes and lobbies for uh, laws to be passed in at various levels of government, uh, who he, he just offers some really tepid defenses of, of uh, I, I mean, uh, mass incarceration policy and just sort of for-profit prison. Uh, and and th- those two moments really lingered long after I was I was finished watching the documentary. Yeah. It's really if you if you haven't seen it, uh I I urge you to. Um but but let's let's pull back for a second from 13th itself. This is the ninth documentary that that Netflix has uh released on its own mm-hmm. this calendar year alone. So yeah. it's you know after it transitioned from kind of disc rental service to mm-hmm. a streaming platform, documentaries pretty quickly became one of the best things about Netflix because you got a chance to see things that you didn't before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember there were just documentaries that either I hadn't had a chance to see in the theater and then saw later, or I would stumble upon them and maybe they hadn't even gotten a theatrical run, but they all became these, it was a word of mouth uh, phenomenon like I hadn't seen like you see it now with maybe British TV shows yeah. as an example of something like that but um, the the ramping up of their own production to go beyond um, just acquiring it in their library to developing it on their own has been kind of remarkable to see do you guys see that as being part of a larger thing are we seeing that with other platforms well I was just sort of looking between the the list of original documentaries that Netflix has, has put on its service compared to what Hulu has. I mean, Hulu had a day in the life, in life that, uh, that I, I don't know, that Morgan Spurlock documentary series. I'm trying to find their, like, documentary feature productions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Netflix is, when they first started acquiring a bunch of it, it, it documentaries, it, it seemed like it was a place you could go to watch the nominees of best Documentary feature right. at the right. Academy Awards that it was like oh it, which is one of those categories at the Oscars that you see and you're like why why didn't I ever get a chance to see those movies like if you're not in a major city mm-hmm. uh, you're not going to get those those movies in your in your area so Netflix is the natural landing place for for films like that uh, but now they have ramped up that uh, genre on the service because it's something that like if you're just sort of browsing. It, it, they've sort of, it seems like they've discovered that people are going to click on those and and watch documentaries, especially if there's something like Ava DuVernay's. This is her first movie since Selma, right? Like mm-hmm. she's directed mm-hmm. some television work, but this is her first film mm-hmm. yeah. uh, since Selma. So it, it's kind of a big get. Yeah, 
I mean, I think that also Netflix has specifically has realized, like, you know, when they first started kind of what Kevin was saying, like going through the the acquisition thing, you know, like, I think that they picked up a lot of documentaries because they were affordable. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. documentaries cost a lot less than buying features. Um, and then all of a sudden they kind of, through doing that, realized the larger market for them because people who don't live in metropolitan areas and don't go to art houses every in the two weeks that any particular documentary is there do want to see these things. They just don't know how to and you know they're obviously we don't have video stores anymore and they wouldn't necessarily think to have Netflix send them the disc you know so like they kind of realized there was a a niche market for this and now it's sort of gone over a different hump where Netflix is producing them Mm -hmm. right because they can still produce them much more affordably than they can full-length features you know so they can it's kind of a win-win right like and also I mean I think the the great thing that they're realizing about documentaries which has always been true but is very I think important right now is that they generate a lot of conversation. And like, so like, if you want to be talking about Netflix, like when you're reading your daily Intel of think pieces every day, you know, like documentaries offer a lot to talk about. Um, And 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 13th and uh, and Amanda Knox came out at just about the same time. I mean, and they did, you know, the Mitt Romney one in 2014. And Mm -hmm. this year alone, they did the Nina Simone one and the Anthony Robbins one. Um, It's interesting that uh, that, 90 to 120 minute arc of a documentary to me now feels more intrinsically fulfilling than the 90 to 120 minute arc of a feature film only because that is like I am in one way or another even if it's unconsciously comparing it to a 6 to 12 hour Mm -hmm. dramatic arc that that a show gives me sure Whereas a movie just the the shortcuts that a movie needs to make in comparison to get from A to B in the same way feels to me like it is a dilutive form of storytelling and a documentary as over and this has happened to me just in the past two years that documentary feels like a much more natural use of a two-hour window for me to get a story, to get a window into people's lives than the majority of movies. Let me not say categorically all movies because they're wonderful filmmakers still, but I think um, the, the form is maybe being used, utilized a little bit better these days in default. Do you still, though, enjoy long-form documentary like Making a Murder or like The Oh, Jinx? absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, O.J. Made, made, made in America, America yeah. Yeah. which was one of the most kind of incredible projects of the year. Um, well, it's it sort of, O.J. Made in America, I think, needed to be as long as it was because it looms so large in the public consciousness that then to pick apart the details once again, yeah. just to really impress upon people everything that happened in that case, like 13th functions as kind of a, 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 a primer. It's Mass Incarceration 101. And, but like it also introduces heard, people sure. to things that you learned about a shadow of it in history class, yeah. but mm-hmm. never the true import of it. Like Birth of a Nation shows up as I remember, like you see that in a U.S. history textbook in high school as just sort of like D.W. Griffith, Birth of a Nation, Woodrow Wilson screened it, but this actually. And you knew that it yeah. was, you knew that it was racist, racist. back then, oh, but you yeah. didn't know like it, it when you see the imagery born in that movie play out. Mm-hmm. The Burning Cross didn't exist before that, mm-hmm. which is. I did not know that until I saw 13th. And just like the revival of the Ku Klux Klan, or even how it, it, DuVernay as a director working with her editor, like is, is very astute in layering uh, the interview audio with uh, visuals from earlier in the documentary to make sure that you realize here's the past step that we showed you. 
and here's how that impacted the culture to create the situation decades later in America. So like the the black uh, the the caricature of the like uh, feared black rapist uh, that that gets carried forward into sensationalized news. Towards the end of the documentary, and a lot was made of this, and so I kind of knew that it was coming when I finally sat down to watch it, but the the footage from the nonviolent demonstrators in the South in the 60s being kind of chased and harassed and ultimately beaten by white mobs with audio of Donald Trump Mm, at his yeah. rallies talking about how the crowd should treat protesters. It is a chilling juxtaposition. And the fact that he repeated the phrase, like, back in the day or back in my day. Yeah, or yeah. What, you, know, yeah, like, you know what would have happened back yeah. then. Yeah, it's like, around it's, being like it's, that sort of it's, it is a... That's another testament to DeVernay, to be able to just turn so quickly to be... To, like, I, I want to know what the production window on this was. Like, how mm. how far back was she interviewing people and how quickly did the the documentary change as the campaign wore on with with Trump? And, well, there was definitely and footage from his rallies in the spring and summer, and, yeah. and you know we know just before we came into tape, Michael Moore basically announced uh, that he had made a Trump documentary, and it screened last night. Uh, it, it sounds like that's from the Republican National Convention in Ohio, or at least that sounds like the centerpiece of it. Yeah, it doesn't it, take yeah. like it depends on your documentary, but yeah. just because you don't have the long post production road that a feature film is going to have, you can have something done and out within months, which is. Right. I mean, we saw what happened with the uh, the Wiener documentary from this spring. Oh, sure. It yeah. became so newly relevant. I mean, it's been a, a, a wonderful year for political documentaries, certainly, if you, especially if you count O.J. Made in America in there, and how could you not? Yeah. Um, so let's move on to feature films after I slammed them just minutes <laughs> ago. Uh, so Ben Affleck came out of nowhere with The Accountant to have a pretty good weekend. Um, surprise some people, open number one. Um... So we also have Jack Reacher Never Look Back opening next weekend, <laughs> and it seems like it's an opportunity to look at a couple actors and uh, and uh, let's compare some legacies. Because <laughs> from look from my standpoint, they both have had their screen idol time. They have had their low points. They have had their uh, questionable romantic dissolutions and relationships before then, uh, and. It feels like they're more alike than than we might think at first. Hmm. So, so Angela, uh-huh. who is going to come out with a better movie legacy, Ben Affleck or Tom Cruise? Oh God! You can only pick one. I can only pick one. Longevity-wise, Cruise is winning right now, right? So the number of movies you make or the number of years you are an actor is what is going to. Well, that's what I'm. That's what I'm sussing out, right? Because like he'll have the longevity. Even if Affleck doesn't, though, like quality-wise, we're still going to have like Tom Cruise born on the Fourth of July, but then we also have Tom Cruise interview with the Vampire, which, are, and then <laughs> Tom Cruise Top Gun. I don't and, know. I'm, and you have you have Ben Affleck Argo. And you have Ben Affleck. Yeah, you also have Ben Affleck, director. See, that's the thing. Which Cruise has never done. Yeah. That's the strain of it where I think Affleck gets to make his legacy as, deeper. Yeah, and separate from Cruise, where Affleck seems like he's got a, a second life in him as a director. Like I, I feel like on a Clint Eastwood level, 
Not in terms of like political ideology, <laughs> although given the Boston sports fandom, who knows? Uh, but he, it seems like he's got a couple a couple decades as a as a potential Oscar winning director in him because Hollywood loves nothing more than awarding actors who turn into uh, bankable directors. Right. So and uh, also as a screenwriter for Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, for you sure. Know? It's got Oscars. Are we gonna? Are we? Are we sticking with the uh, the old canard that he and Matt Damon really wrote the screenplay okay. that we saw on the screen? Uh, all stick all with right, that one? all right. The Family Guy cutaway joke about <laughs> Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> when in doubt, go McFarland. Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you this: just to be devil's advocate, uh, did Tom Cruise ever play Batman? I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> no. I did make the case at one point that Ben Affleck was a good Bruce Wayne. I think Affleck plays a great Bruce Wayne. Not so sure about Batman. Right. But uh, Cruz, I mean, Cruz has played quote-unquote superhero in, I mean, Jack Reacher is in some ways kind of a superhero. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in, as... Oblivion. In, or uh, Mission Impossible. Edge yeah. of Tomorrow, he turned yeah. into oh, one. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and, like, I think the fact that we can just sort of go through his filmography, just like Minority Report, Eyes Wide Shut, The Firm, A Few Good Men, Born on the Fourth of July. Like, Vanilla you can, Sky. Yeah, no. you can just reel off like great movie after great movie right. and and great performance after performance and Affleck there are I think a few more divots. Casey Affleck yeah absolutely <laughs> well so th- so that's the question we don't think of Tom Cruise as being an actor right mm-hmm. he's not a thespian despite what we never get an Oscar yeah despite Born on the Fourth of July despite Magnolia despite um, he's great in Rain Man Sky. He's great as the Rain Man. As yeah, he's great in Rain Man. Rain Man. Uh, but is Ben our Ben Affleck's acting chops? There was a George Reeve biopic, Hollywoodland. Yeah, that was sort of the turnaround point for him. That when the Gili Benefer stuff started to consume his career, the the lowest point, like the the uptick from that lowest point, was Hollywoodland. Let okay. This gives us a good opportunity to talk about personal life and the fallout therefrom and what it means to your Hollywood legacy. Because Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez were together and that was fine. It was it was it was weird for yeah. everyone to watch. Yep. Right. Uh, it was weird for me as a as a young man because I was so desperately in love with Jennifer Lopez at the time. <laughs> uh, so but I felt that way about Puffy being there too. So I, you know no one no one was the right suitor in my mind when I was that age. But, uh, so, it wasn't the relationship that people had a problem with. It was the movie that they made together that people had a problem with. It was Gili. Meanwhile, Tom Cruise has the much-rumored contract to find a wife. Yeah, that is a weird one. And the Oprah meltdown. And Mm. that whole phase of things where he seemed like he was going off the rails and people loved watching it, but does that, does the, quote, comeback from these, quote, low points, do they matter? Do they even exist? Like, is this just a myth that we like to impose on a, uh, on an actor's career? Isn't there, there's a Neil Strauss profile of Cruz where they go... Motor, where they ride motorcycles together? Of course they I want to say. Sure. Of course Which, in Montana, I, sure. <laughs> but, the, like... I th- I think the the stuff about like the going clear the book and the mm-hmm. documentary and the associations with Scientology I think are going to permanently make everyone skeptical of Tom Cruise outside of his film career right. uh, forever. 
and Affleck has, you know, the the persistent, the pervasive rumors of uh, gambling addiction, uh, and his uh, didn't he, he got kicked out of a casino for counting cards at some point during his career? Uh, they've both got some weird. Some weird personal life stuff going on. As long as it. long as we're handing out demerits, I want to give Ben Affleck one for showing up on any given Wednesday. Yeah, Bill that Simmons was a bad HBO one. Show. Ooh. I mean, that who turns down point. an opportunity to talk Boston sports with the man himself? Yeah, <laughs> as a one-time Boston sports fan, even I can't. Even I can't take that chance. Um, so I, I feel like. There's some waffling going on here. Let's get some final decisions, guys. You've you've made some cases. We've explored some parts. I mean, I feel like Tom Cruise is always going to be more my guy. Okay. Even take like taking apart like everything. Like I think Ben Affleck's peaks are higher, but I think Tom Cruise consistently has made something that made me happy. Consistency more. trumps prestige. Yeah. In this one partic- in this one particular matchup, in this matchup, I wouldn't say it with every like. No, that was not wa- that was not Watercutter's third law of right. film dynamics. This right. was in this case. In this that is particular what your thing, is based on. yeah, I have followed Tom Cruise since I was obsessed with Top Gun when I was like six. Like, all right, you're a cruiser. That's it. I Kevin. think I'm a cruiser as well. I I just looking at Cruise's best movies. While he may not be like the best thing. In them, like his performance may be a little distracting. I like Cruz's best movies more than I like Affleck's best movies. And I think if I'm if I'm gonna pick one movie out of both of their filmographies to save forever, I'm I'm picking Tom Cruise in Collateral. So mm. oh, that all right. would be That's a good one. that would be my like if if I could go back and give Cruz an Oscar for something, I think I would go back and give it to him for Collateral. And that I think is my favorite performance of either actor in any movie. So that's why I would be a cruiser. Well, you're both right. The answer is Tom Cruise. Uh, I didn't think we were going to reach quorum on this. And I and I say that because uh, I'm looking at A to B. Uh, and I'm looking at The Outsiders and All the Right Moves and Risky Business to... Cocktail? Through... Yeah. Cocktail? <laughs> Come on. He could, he could twirl it. He could flip a Days bottle. Days of Thunder? No. <laughs> the, see the, the cocktail days of thunder era for me like it, it like up to top gun i think there was a cruise and then after top gun there was this other cruise and then after about jerry Maguire, there was a different cruise uh and now there's this other the renaissance cruise whatever you want to call it post ghost protocol i feel like post ghost post ghost cruise <laughs> uh, i think affleck has become a good a, a, a competent filmmaker for sure uh but when I think about Goodwill Hunting and Chasing Amy till now, I don't see the trajectory isn't that strange to me. I don't feel like he's weathered that much. Yeah, he was in a couple of pretty bad movies and he made some weird decisions, but like he's just a little more This is weird. He's more vanilla to me than Tom Cruise is. <laughs> who was like basically the the uh mildly buttered toast of of screen heroes. I will say this for Affleck, he has he has done better at picking roles that match what the public perceives him to be and thus will latch on to more so than Cruz. Cruz still wants to be this big, bombastic, artificial, like larger than life presence on screen. 
but Affleck, at, even as Batman or in Gone Girl, is sort of playing directly to what audiences perceive his personality to be. Yeah, I think Cruz is White Will Smith. <laughs> uh, uh, and and I think Affleck is, yeah, what do they need me to be? Yeah. I, I, this is not to say who I would rather have a conversation with, uh, either on set or off. This is just, we're talking, who am I going to remember most more fondly when I see their star on the walk? Of fame. I don't know why I felt the need to finish that sentence, but there you have it. It's three to nothing. Tom Cruise, congratulations. Your career has finally been anointed by some podcasters. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to call it off uh, until next week. Before we go, let's do some sign-offs. Let them know where they can find you. And something that we didn't talk about this week that you've been into. Maybe you were into it over the rainy weekend. Maybe just in the past couple days. Uh, hi, I am Angela Watercutter. You can find me on the Twitters at uh, Waterslicer. That's W-A-T-E-R-S-L-I-C-E-R. Um, and we kind of stole my one of my binges because I watched a lot of random documentaries, clearly one more than once over the weekend. Um, but also, this is really random. I, we talked so much about Thundercat, um, but during the last episode of Insecure, they played a Thundercat song that I had not heard before called Heartbreaks and Setbacks, and I've been playing it on a loop. Oh, during episode two? Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. So, I don't know how I missed that one. I'm sorry. Wasn't on his EP? It was on, let me see, it's right here, on Apocalypse. Oh, okay. So, I just, I missed it. So, thank you also, Solange, for probably being the one who picked that song. Good point. I am Kevin McFarland. You can find me on Twitter at KM underscore McFarland, M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D. Um, I have been playing this mobile game, uh, the Fox Animation Throwdown. It's essentially like a Hearthstone-ish card game, uh, but features all of the Fox animation shows. And I have been playing a deck that is Bob's Burgers themed. Uh, so it's basically just like a card fighting game. Uh, where I get to mash up Bob's Burgers cards into little scenes from the show, and I just get to giggle at what That's they great. do to Family Guy characters. That's pretty great. So I'm, I'm Peter Rubin. You can find me on, on Twitter as Proven Self, P-R-O-V-E-N-S-E-L-F. And I really, I hate to do this because I know we always pick one, but I have three, and I, <laughs> and I can't decide between them, and they're all very different, So he, and I will make them quick. Uh, so one of them I mentioned on last week's Gadget Lab podcast, which I uh, sat in on, um, but I'm going to tell you guys about it as well. Uh, it is a British comedy that is on Netflix, and actually the third season is just is coming to Netflix this Friday. It's called People Just Do Nothing, and it is, uh, it is the dynamic basically between Michael Brent and Gareth from The Office UK, but transposed to a couple of pirate radio DJs who make grime and garage music. It is unbelievable. It is hilarious. Uh, and it is, it's just good deadpan British cringe comedy. It's like these two guys who are legends in their own mind and their friends and loved ones who are uh, so ill-fated as have to spend time with them. Uh, but it's awesome. Great cast of characters. Um, on the game front, Zach Gage, who is an incredible indie game designer um, who's made a bunch of great uh, phone games over over the past few years, last week released something called Really Bad Chess. <laughs> and if you like chess but you hate people who memorize openings, this is the game because it takes a chess board and it gives you the right number of pieces, but it gives you a bunch of different pieces that you would normally have. Maybe you have four bishops that are sitting in your front row where pawns might go. Maybe you have a couple knights somewhere weird. Maybe you have like 
three rooks, but your opponent has three queens. Uh, and it is it is boards that you play against AI, and there are weekly boards and also kind of a ranked mode you go through. But it's great chess without the investment. Like, you think as hard as you do playing chess, but because it's selected at random, it takes the orthodoxy of studying chess out of it, which is kind of great. So that's really good. How good are you at chess, really? Not. <laughs> uh, not. Uh, I am good enough to lose to anyone decent, basically. I get impatient. And I'm like, this. let's just clear the board. Let's just start trading some pieces, and it's always a bad idea. Uh, and then thirdly, very quickly, um, th- I know I-, I mentioned last week Vice Nightly News on HBO. This week brought their the Viceland version of Pardon the Interruption. If you like sports shouting shows, Kevin McFarland, and you like comedy, then there's the Jesus and Miro, which takes uh, – two of Twitter's funniest people who have gone through a couple of podcasts. They currently have Bodega Boys, uh, which Red Bull Media produces, and now they have a four-night-a-week show on at 11 on Viceland. Uh, So far, so funny. They've developed quite a chemistry over the past three, four years, so definitely worth watching. Shouts to them. Bodega Hive. That is all. All right. We'll see you next week when we talk about some other culture stuff. Thanks for tuning in to The Monitor.